Good morning, church. Can I just say it's been entirely too long since I've been here with you all? Oh, thank you. That was... No, I have uh, genuinely missed you all. Last time I preached here, uh, we were in the warehouse, and I only had three kids. <laughs> Neither of those things is true anymore. Uh, that's how long it's been. Um, but if we haven't met, I see a lot of new faces. Uh, it is wonderful to see how God is moving and this church is flourishing and growing. Uh, me and my family came for the Christmas Eve service, and there were so many new people here that I thought somebody was going to give me a Connect card and a Zion shirt, <laughs> which I would have taken because those are they're hard to get these days. Um, but my name is Johnny. I'm the pastor of uh, one of our Staten Island campuses, Zion Stapleton, um, and uh, I'm very happy to be here with you all today. Um, we are going to continue through our sermon series, uh, tracing the covenant, God's covenant with Israel through the Old Testament. Um, if you've been following along, this sermon series is absolutely meant to build on the week. So if you've missed one, jump back, get the recording. We started all the way back in Genesis at creation. Uh, we covered Abraham. We covered Moses and Israel at Mount Sinai. Um, and this week we are going to uh, jump forward again and look at King David and what's, what's commonly referred to as the Davidic Covenant. And to do that, we're going to be reading from 2 Samuel 7, 1 through 17. So you can turn there. I think it'll be on the screens maybe. <clears throat> Let's read. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my, for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over the, my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 
I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the uh, depths of wisdom and knowledge that we find in these scriptures. God, we pray that uh, you would make our hearts today the good soil that's ready to receive your word to produce much fruit to the glory and to the honor of your name. We ask that this, uh, this, this good bread feeds your church today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So the first thing that I want us to look at as we examine these, these verses today is that all good things come from God. All good things come from God. What was happening here at this moment? Well, David was having a moment that kings dream of. Right? Chapter 7 opens up saying that the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. David was experiencing a season of peace after much war and turmoil and uncertainty. Israel was in the land that God promised Abraham and their enemies had been defeated, right? This is what every king or ruler or president wants. They want their people to experience peace and prosperity, right? This is the goal of all leaders. And this is what David was experiencing at the time, right? But 2 Samuel makes it clear this period of rest came directly from God. Right? The passage begins with, the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. In verse 9, God himself says, and I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. You see, if you know anything about King David, you know that he was a great king and a great warrior. Right? He trusted God through his entire life, and he feared nothing. We see this when he was a young man, when he was a shepherd. Right? Scripture says that he killed lions and bears to protect his sheep. He was a fearless person, even from his youth. We see this when he steps out and, and fights Goliath. He steps out to fight a fight that trained warriors, that a trained army was afraid to fight. David steps up and steps in with zero hesitation. He was afraid of nothing because he trusted God. And so as King David led, to people, led his people to victory over their enemies, there was peace now that in a very real and very tangible way was attributed to King David and how he led his people. He was the king. This peace was in part at least due to his leading. But scripture clearly calls out here that the victory wasn't because of David's greatness 
or because of his strategy or because of how good of a, a, a military person he was. It was because the Lord had given him rest. This is an important reminder for David and for us. How many times in our lives are we tempted to take credit for God's hand at work? Right? It's funny, when things go wrong, our impulse is often to look to God and say, God, why? God, why is this happening? God, why are you doing this? But when things are going really well, the impulse is often to look inward and say, man, I'm killing it right now. Man, I'm locked in right now. Our impulse is not the same. We look to God when there's trouble, but our egos and our, our deceitful hearts look inward when things are going well. See, I started playing Fortnite recently. Anybody play? Anybody's kids play? If you don't play, it's a thing your kids are playing all day. We'll exchange gamer tags later. <laughs> right? I started playing because my kids were playing. I thought it'd be a fun way to bond with them. It has taken over my life. I can't wait for them to go to sleep so I can get on with my friends and play now. <laughs> right? And I often play with, uh, with Jeremy, who, I, who most of you probably know, and Kurt, who's sitting back here. And the thing about Jeremy and Kurt is they are incredible at this game. They play this game to a level that a man with four kids can never play this game. Right? Me on my best day, not even coming close to them. Right? I'm lagging behind. By the time I find the enemies, Kurt and Jeremy have eliminated them already. The only, the only thing I'm contributing to the game is letting them know when I've, when I've been killed so they can come and revive me, right? It's hilarious. I'm terrible at the game, but I'm having a great time. I'm doing my best. But Kurt and Jeremy carry me. When I play on my own, I'll lose 12 games in a row before I get frustrated and turn it off. When I'm playing with Jeremy and Kurt, I'm getting dubs left and right. If we lose, it's surprising. And the thing is, when we win, we all get a crown. We all get that dub attributed to us. I get the same exact crown that they get. But I did nothing to contribute to this win. <laughs> and this is how it is with us and God. We run around our lives just doing the best that we can, flailing around. And God is orchestrating every good thing, every good gift that we have comes directly from him. And just like it'd be ridiculous for me to finish a game and, and feel like I contributed equally to Kurt and Jeremy, it's ridiculous for us to take any credit for the work that God has done in our lives. You might say, I have a great job because I have such a good work ethic and I'm so skilled at my work. No, brother, you have a great job because God has given you favor and the ability to work with excellence. 
You might say, I have so much money in my bank account because I'm so good at managing my finances. No, sister, you have so much money in your bank account because God has given you favor and the ability to steward your finances well. Is it important that we put appropriate effort into the things God called us to do? Yes, absolutely. We should be putting all that we have into accomplishing the purpose that God has for us. But don't forget for a moment that apart from God, we're like me playing Fortnite without Kurt and Jeremy. We're not lasting five minutes. We're not making any progress. We're not accomplishing much of anything at all. And this is what God was reminding David here. Lest David's heart be tempted and puffed up and tempted to look inward to itself. God was the one that was responsible for David's success. God was the one responsible for the peace that the kingdom was experiencing. You see, the Lord's Prayer that Jesus teaches in the New Testament gives us really great wisdom on how to posture our hearts appropriately and how to make sure our hearts don't get too puffed up. You see, the fourth petition that Jesus teaches us to pray is, Give us this day our daily bread. And the Heidelberg Catechism explains it this way. Give us this day our daily bread means provide for all our physical needs so that we may recognize that you are the only source of everything good and that neither our care and work nor your, neither our care and work nor God's gifts can do us any good without his blessing. Therefore, may we withdraw trust from all creatures and place it in you alone. This is the appropriate posture of our hearts when we look at our lives and we look at the work that we've done and the things that we have and the blessings that God has given. It's not, I've gotten this on my own. It's that God has given this to me. From the smallest to the greatest, from the, from the peanut butter and jelly sandwich you had for lunch to the mortgage you closed on, God is the one who is responsible for providing it all. All good gifts come from God. David's kingdom was experiencing rest because the Lord was at work. The Lord had given him rest. And the truth is that not just this moment, but David's entire life was God's hand at work. See, when the Lord gave Nathan the message to give to David, he reminds David of where he came from. He reminds David of his humble beginnings. God says, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people, Israel. It is remarkable that a shepherd, the smallest of his brothers, became this great king. David is the ultimate rags to riches story. David was the ultimate underdog. David was such an unlikely candidate for his destiny that the prophet overlooked him. 
He was such an unlikely candidate for his destiny that his father overlooked him. When the prophet came and said, bring me all your sons, one of them's going to be king. Jesse didn't even get David. He left David with the sheep. The prophet had to ask, do you have any more sons? And Jesse was like, yeah, I got David, but it's not him. David came from very humble beginnings. God called David from the pasture, tending the sheep to make him the prince of Israel. And this too was God's work. It didn't happen because David was such an excellent shepherd. It didn't happen because David was such a skilled musician. It happened because of the hand of God, just like the Lord had given King David rest from his enemies. The Lord called David the shepherd boy out of the pasture to become the prince of his people. Now, notice here for a second. That God refers to David as the prince of Israel. But David's title is the king. Everybody else looks at David and says, this is King David. But when God is referring to David, he calls him the prince. Did you consider why? Why God doesn't call him the king here? And it's because even the king of God's chosen people, even the king that had just vanquished all of his enemies, even the king that is experiencing this moment of peace and prosperity for his kingdom, even this king is a servant to the king of kings. Even this king is subject to God Almighty, who is the true king of his people. You see, God is sovereign, and he's all-powerful, and he's in full control. He's the true king of kings and the true Lord of all lords. And so God reminds David, who is who always has been and who always will be in full control of what's happening. And so we see through this message that God had given to Nathan that God is in full control here and that his sovereign plan will continue to unfold in David's life. You see, this passion starts with David's desire to build the temple for God. David now has a moment to rest. He has a moment to stop thinking about war and stop thinking about fighting and stop thinking about his enemies. And what he realizes is that he's sitting on a throne in a palace while the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark where God's presence was, was living inside of a tent. You see, God's presence would move with the Ark of the Covenant. And as, as Israel was moving through the wilderness, as Israel was moving from place to place before God had settled them, God's presence would be, would be housed in a tent. It had to be temporary. They didn't have a place to stay yet. And David is thinking, he's sitting, he's saying, this isn't right. My house shouldn't be better than God's. And how does God reply to David? He says, you want to build me a house? No, 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 no. I'm going to build you a house. Right? God pulled the Uno reverse card on David. 
Right. And in a way, God is God is like checking David here. Look at look at how God responds. He says, I have been with Israel since Egypt, since the beginning. I have never asked for a house. In other words, if I needed a temple, I would have a temple. In other words, don't forget, I'm God. I'm in control of all of this. I follow. I've taken you everywhere that you've gone. If I needed a temple, I would have built me a temple. I don't need you to do this thing. I don't need anything from you. You see, last week in Stapleton, we talked briefly about how God doesn't need anything from us. But because he loves us, he invites us into relationship, into divine love with him. And again, this week, we see God affirming that he's in control of all things. He is sovereign. He is completely self-sufficient. God is not asking David to build him a temple because God has something far greater in mind. God is not looking for a temple. God is not looking for David to build him a house because God has a far greater plan. And God goes ahead and makes a covenant with David that his kingdom would never end. Verse 16 says, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever. Your throne shall be established forever. God Almighty, who has been in complete control of everything, from the peace David was experiencing as king to David being called out of the pasture and into the palace to God making his covenant with Israel after leading them through the wilderness to God making his covenant with Abraham to God showing mercy on Adam and Eve by banishing them from the Garden of Eden. This God whose will always comes to pass this God who cannot lie. This God who has proven himself time and time and time again has promised David that his kingdom will be established forever. What a promise. What a declaration. What a covenant God has made. And what we're seeing here is the same covenant that God made with Abraham way back in Genesis being brought into a clearer focus. See, the covenant that God is making here with David isn't a departure from the covenant he made with Abraham. And it's not a departure from the covenant he made with Moses and Israel in Exodus. But it's an extension of it. Right. The fact that Israel was currently occupying Canaan, the land that God promised Abraham was a, was a sign that the covenant he made to Abraham was still alive and well. It was still active. They were living in it. Even God's words to David of rest and a great name and a land to dwell are reminiscent of the covenant God made to Abraham. And so this isn't a different covenant. God hasn't changed courses. He hasn't broken the promise he made before. This is just the next chapter of it. 
It's being the next the next part of it is being revealed. And it's that God is going to establish David's kingdom forever. And this is going to happen because of God's steadfast love. You see, David wasn't the first king of Israel. David was the second king of Israel. His predecessor, Saul, had an extravagant falling out of God's will. You see, King Saul was prone to ignoring God and doing things in the ways he saw fit, doing things in his own wisdom. And God had removed his presence from him. In 2 Samuel here, God says that he took away his steadfast love. In other words, the thing that allowed Saul to be king was the steadfast love of God. And when Saul's time was done being king, God took away his steadfast love. But this wouldn't be the case with David's kingdom. Verse 15 says, but my steadfast love will not depart from him. Now, this was incredible news to David. Right. We've already established that all victory, all peace, all blessing, all of the good things that David was experiencing was because of God, was because of God's steadfast love. And now God had promised that his steadfast love would remain with David and his descendants forever. You see, God was going to keep this covenant by steadfast love, which he would not remove now, as we've traced God's covenant through, from creation, through Genesis, through Exodus, one thing should have become very, very clear to us all. And that's that humanity is incapable of walking upright before God. Right? That is the one thing that has remained consistent as we look at these different time periods where God has made his promises and covenant to his people is that his people are incapable of keeping that covenant. Just three chapters into scripture, almost immediately after humankind was created to live in, in uh, paradise with God, creation rebels against God. Creation rebels against their creator and Adam and Eve eat from the tree that God told them not to eat from. And almost immediately after God rescued Israel from Egypt and made a covenant with them, they fashioned a golden calf to worship in place of God. Our hearts are incapable of keeping God's law. Our hearts are incapable of keeping God's covenant. And spoiler alert, David, King David himself would famously fail at walking upright before God. Time and time and time and time again. You see, God's promise to never remove his steadfast love was like an insurance policy. It meant that no matter what type of trouble David got into, it meant that in spite of David's descendants' inability to keep God's law, 
in spite of David's kingdom's inability to follow God, in spite of their wayward hearts, God would never remove his steadfast love. And that is what would ensure that David's kingdom lasted forever. It wasn't the greatness of David that was going to ensure it. It wasn't the greatness of his son Solomon that was going to ensure it. It was God's steadfast love that never changes. It was God's steadfast love, the God who, remember, is in control of everything that's happening, that was going to ensure David's kingdom would last forever. And so now it makes sense why God would tell David, remember where you came from and remember why you are where you are today. God has been in complete control of David's life and God will be the one in complete control of his destiny and this covenant forever. You see, because of this promise of steadfast love, any hardship or trial that David and Israel faced now had a foundation of hope. Because of the promise of steadfast love, it didn't matter what happened. The people could now look back to this promise that God made and say, well, God's steadfast love is not going to depart from King David and his kingdom. And that includes us. Right. Psalm 89, which is a retelling of God's covenant to David, says this. My steadfast love, I will keep for him forever and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of heaven. If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not remove my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie. You see, the promise that God made was dependent on who God is. It was dependent on God's faithfulness, on God's inability to lie, on God's willingness to keep his promises. says his offspring shall endure forever, his throne as long as the sun before me. See, church, this covenant would rest on the faithfulness of God and not the fickleness of man. And there would be many moments throughout Israel's history over the next hundreds and hundreds of years where things got tough where things looked bad, where, where they may have been tempted to think, did God actually lie to David? Is God actually going to keep his covenant? There were many moments coming up where their enemies were going to overtake them, where they were going to be sent into exile, where they may have thought, did God forget his covenant? Did God forget his plan to David? But they would always have this truth to hold to. No matter how bad things seemed, they would be able to keep hope 
These verses, this promise that God made became the foundation of hope for all of Israel for generations and generations and generations. See, Israel could say because God promised that he would never remove his steadfast love then no matter what things look like right now, we can trust that it's for, from our loving God and working towards his purpose and his promise. Church, are you hearing me? You see, this was true for Israel, but this is a roadmap for us. Because in Christ Jesus, we have the same promise of steadfast love. In Christ Jesus, we have the same promise that God will not remove his steadfast love from us. Paul writes in Romans, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Beloved, we can stand with the same confidence Israel had that no matter what life looks like, that no matter what life throws at us, that no matter how miserably we fail at keeping God's law, he will not remove his steadfast love from us. See, you can hold hope in the promises of God that through Christ Jesus, we have eternal life and everything we experience from here until eternity is for our good and for God's glory. He will not remove his steadfast love from us. The most incredible promise that we could have from him. No matter how incapable I am of standing upright before God, and church, I am incapable on my best day. I can stand firm on the promise of God that his steadfast love is not because of how good I am, but it's because of how good he is. Praise God. Now, if you are a perceptive person, if you are astute, if you are following along with this story, then there's a pretty big problem here. David's kingdom has ended, right? Us looking with hindsight, there is no king of Israel. David's descendants are no longer on the throne. And so I think a fair question here is, well, what happened? Did God lie? Did God forget? Because it's all good and well that Israel at the moment was like, God will never forget. But we have thousands of, history, of years of history here, and we can see that David's kingdom ended a long, 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 long time ago. God said forever. Forever hasn't expired. Today is part of forever. The promise of God seems to have fallen short. 
The promise that God wouldn't remove his steadfast love and that David's kingdom would endure forever seems to have been fallen short. And so did God lie? Well, absolutely not. Perish the thought. He cannot lie. You see, God didn't lie, but again, he just had something far greater in mind. He had something far greater than humanity and our limited perception could understand. You see, David wanted to build God a house, but he was short-sighted. He wasn't able to see what God's true plan was. God wanted to build David a house, a kingdom, a dynasty. But as great as that promise was, God's intention was again far greater than could be perceived. You see, church, the ultimate heir of King David, the ultimate heir of David's throne, the one who would sit on the everlasting throne in the everlasting kingdom was King Jesus. See, it wasn't an earthly lineage that God was talking about. It wasn't an earthly kingdom that God was talking about. Doesn't it make sense now why the people during the time of Jesus, the religious elite who were waiting for the Messiah said, this guy can't be it. Because God said our, the kingdom was gonna endure forever. But he's dying. But he refuses to build an army. But he refuses to take any military conquest. This guy can't be the one we were waiting for. But God had a much greater kingdom in mind. Jesus says, often my kingdom is not of this earth. You see, King Jesus was the heir of David's throne. King Jesus is the one that is going to reign over God's kingdom forever. The Messiah the savior of the world. How do we know this? Well, Luke 132 says of Jesus, he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. The writer of Hebrews writes, referencing Jesus, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will, be, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. You see, in the same promise that God was making David, the early church, the early Christians realized that God was actually talking about Jesus. Realize that the promise that God was making was about Jesus and not about an earthly lineage. You see, David was happy for a dynasty, but God was bringing salvation to the world. David was happy for an earthly kingdom, but God was establishing a heavenly kingdom that would see no end. And the truth is, church, that just like David and just like Israel, we can only see a small fraction of what God is doing. We can only see so far ahead of us. We can't see the bigger picture and the bigger purposes of God. And so the best thing we can do is trust him.
The best thing we could do is look back at Scripture and see, well, he's never lied yet. The best thing we can do is look back at Scripture and say, well, he is as faithful as he said he was. The best thing we could do is take the perspective of Israel, that our kingdom seems to have fallen, but God said he wouldn't remove his steadfast love, and we know he's not a liar, and so we can hold faith and hold hope in him because of who he is, no matter how things look around us. And this is to be the posture of our hearts. This is how we are to walk through the various hardships and trials and the high moments and the triumphs of life. We're not to be shaken by these things because we hold to God who is faithful in the midst of things changing. Isaiah 55 says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's thoughts were higher than David's thoughts to build him a house. God thought, God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts of a good and easy life, of a big, beautiful home, of a backyard, of a new car, of a perfect family. God's ways are, and thoughts are higher than our thoughts of a good and easy job and a fat-loaded bank account. God's ways are above ours. And we can trust that all things in Christ Jesus or for our good and his glory. And so as we close and the band makes their way back up, we see here that King's David, King David's only hope was in the steadfast love of God. He was unable to see the full picture of what God wanted to do, but God was faithful to fulfill his promises. And likewise, our, our only hope is in the steadfast love of God. And so as a church, let us cling to Jesus, knowing that in him, nothing will separate us from God's steadfast love. And because of this steadfast love, we too can be sure that no matter what happens, no matter what comes our way, God will use it for our good and his glory. Church, God will be faithful to fulfill all that he has promised as we cling to Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your steadfast love that endures forever. God, without it, we are utterly hopeless. We can't take but two steps before falling short before you. But we thank you that your covenant and your promises rely on who you are. Rely on your faithfulness, on your goodness, on your work, on the finished work of Jesus Christ and not our own goodness or work or anything we can muster up. Holy Spirit, strengthen us. Let us cling to Jesus, 
that no matter what life looks like, no matter what storms come our way, no matter what winds blow or what rains fall, that we can look to you and only you and know that your word is true, that you cannot lie, and that your promises will come to pass. We thank you that through Jesus you've made us a part of this everlasting kingdom. God, and we can't wait to be before you. We can't wait to stand in the fullness of it. Help us to cling to you, Jesus. In your name, in your name alone, we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, as we worship together some more, there's going to be leaders, uh, leaders here for you. If you'd like some prayer, uh, we would love to pray with you. Please stand and join us for a time of worship.